The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, funding dreams for over 50 years. Close your eyes and pull like down. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam Maguire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Dylan Mankin of the Southern Star and I'm joined by Star Sport Editor Kieran McCarthy. We're very excited for today's episode but before we get into things I'd just like to give our listeners a gentle reminder to please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you in association with our friends at Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, where your bank really does matter. Choose Credit Union, choose local, choose community. Now we have a bumper podcast for you this week. Kieran spoke to West Cork's most successful rugby player ever, Laura Guest, and we'll play that later on. It's 10 years since Guest was part of Ireland's only women's team to win a Grand Slam and she's done it all. She's played in World Cups, coached Munster and won that aforementioned Grand Slam. So we'll play that later on. And we also have friend of the show, Jeremy McCarthy, joining us to chat all things West Cork soccer ahead of this weekend's Beamish Cup final between Bonratty United and Dunmanway Town. But before we get to all of that, though, Kieran, every week is a great week to be a West Cork sports fan. But this week was one of the best in recent memory. And I want to start with GAA and Ahamilla in Clonakilty, which hosted the Munster LGFA se- senior semi-final between Cork and Waterford at the weekend. It was a great event, a great crowd turned up and they retreated to a big performance from Cork who beat Waterford 2-10 to 4 points. And Kieran, it's a landmark moment for the region. Huge moment for Clonakilty ladies football and even Clonakilty GA club itself. We'd clan LGFA chairperson Yvonne Ryan on the podcast last week, just chatting about the, I suppose everything that went into hosting an event like this. They were looking forward to Sunday, crossing their fingers that the weather gods would um would would smile kindly on them. And the good news is the weather gods did. The weather was great. Cork got the win that they needed, and are and are now through to the Munster final on May twenty eighth. Over 1,200 fans packed into Ahamilla. We have a picture on Thursday Star of a packed stand watching the game. And that was that was great to see. Um, and in Thursday Southern Star, we have a, a really good colour piece by Tom Lyons, who went behind the scenes on Sunday to talk to the, the people involved in the, in the running of it from, from Yvonne Ryan, like I mentioned earlier, but also the, the very... Various volunteers from the tea ladies to the to the to the ladies selling the, the lottery tickets for Clan Kilty to the stewards. So it's a really, really lovely piece by Tom. And I'd I'd recommend anyone listening to this podcast to look that for that on Thursday. But what it was, it was a community effort. Clan Kilty pulled together, they put on one hell of a show. Like I said, Cork gave the performance and, and they got the win. And the big message coming from this, it was such a success. And fans came from all across West Cork to support the Cork ladies. But this went off so well that Yvonne Ryan was saying after, we're open for business. We're putting our hands up. We'd love to do this again. If the Munster LGFA want Clan Kilty to host a game again, they'd be more than willing to, to do so. I think it, even just the accessibility for fans in West Cork, instead of having to travel up to the city or having to go to Mallow, 
there was a big senior ladies football championship game right here in our back door in Clannacilty, in Ahamilla, which has such fantastic facilities. And in Tom Lyons' piece, he even chats to Nike Halland, the legendary Cork footballer from Castlehaven, who was extolling the virtues of having a game in, in West Cork and said we should have more of the same. So tremendous success to, for Clannacilty GA. Congratulations to all involved, as Yvonne explained last week. Herculean effort. So much went on behind the scenes that we'll, we'll never even know of. But from the pitch looking pristine to everything running so smoothly, hats off to Clan for, for a great job. Well done. Yeah, we know Yvonne mentioned the Herculean effort, but because it was so, so successful, I'm sure she'd be happy to to put it all in again if they if they were asked again. And hopefully that does does happen. And just, just quickly looking ahead to the final, how do you think um, Cork might get on against Kerry? This is this will be an interesting final. Like I said, May twenty eight in Mallow, Cork and Kerry. This is a Kerry team that's going quite well. They got to the All Ireland final last year. They're Division One League champions from from this year. We'll go back a couple of weeks ago. Cork and Kerry drew in the round robin stage of the Munster Championship. Cork hit two four in the closing minutes to to reel Kerry in and get a draw. So it's very nice. It's very nicely balanced. It's, it, it's well poised for for what's going to happen in in Mallow. Uh, Shane Winnane, the Cork manager, was very pleased with Cork's effort against Waterford. They conceded one point from play in the entire game. Waterford managed just four points in total. And that's a Waterford team that, that's on the rise. So that was a, a real plus point from for Cork. And they seem to be moving in the right direction at the right time. So I'm sure we're going to look ahead to that game in an upcoming podcast. But Shane Winnane right now will be happy with where Cork are because a lot of the headlines are about, about this Kerry team because like like I mentioned earlier, they've 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 done so well, but you cannot discount this Cork team, especially up in Mellow. So it's one to look forward to, Dylan. Absolutely, and like you said, that game is on in Mallow on May twenty eighth. And moving on just to West Cork soccer, the Beamish Cup is the big game this weekend as Bunratty United take on Dunmanway Town. But Bunratty were also involved in a big occasion last weekend as they were the team that Drina Rangers beat to clinch their third. West Cork League Premier Division title in a row. And Kieran, they only needed a draw on the day to win it, but they came up trumps on Sunday. They came up trumps and they did it in style, Dylan. Robbie McQueen got a wonder goal as early as the ninth minute. We had Matthew Hurley um, at Cannon Crowley Park on Sunday reporting for the Southern Star. And we have a full page report and reaction in Thursday's paper as Gina were crowned champions again. They are the most consistent team in the West Cork League. This is their third Premier Division title in a row. And that's a that's a testament to Don Hurley and Declan DC's group because this team just knows how to win league titles. We're going to look at the Beamish Cup quite soon. And obviously there's huge excitement around that final. But the league is like, like a, it is, if, if the cup is a sprint, the league is the marathon. And this Drina team knows how to pace themselves and how to make their move at the right time. And they are league champions again. That one win over Bunratty United, and they're deserving league champions as well. The Menway Town were the only team that could have caught them if Drina slipped up. And in fairness to the Menway, they hammered Skibs seven one last Sunday, but because Drina got the result they wanted against Bunratty, it's it made it all irrelevant because Drina are are champions again. So. One of the big questions in West Cork League circles now is, will Drina win a four in a row next year? I'm sure Dunmanway Town, Clannacilty Soccer Club, Bunratty United, even Salane and Bear are coming up. They'll have something to say about that. So next year's Premier Division looks like it could be a very tasty one indeed. But for now, 
Trina will bask in the glory of another league title and it's it's a feeling they're well used to Dylan yes they're 15th title overall I believe and I don't think any team has ever won four in a row so that's something for them to aim for next year but it also like you said the rest of the teams in the league the target on uh, Andrina's back will be bigger than ever and this weekend now moving on we have the Beamish Cup final it's up on sorry on up in Turner's Cross so you spoke to Jeremy McCarthy just briefly about this how is that game looking? It's a big game, like George explained, the, the prestige and importance of the Beamish Cup in the West Cork League. It's a big competition. So we've done Menway Town, the experienced team that won in 2020 and 2021 up against the Bunratty United team. We're back in the final for the first time, I think, is it 2011 or, or, or 2012? 2012, so it was, yeah. 2012, yeah. So like that, that's a long wait for Bunratty. But what's so interesting here, these are two of the top Premier Division teams the Manway are second in the table right now. Bunrat United are just behind them in third place. So the cream has risen to the top. You've two really good teams in the, the Beamish Cup final. It's on up in Turner's Cross. So the, the playing surface will be ex- exceptional. It's a great arena for a West Cork League final. It really adds to the, the prestige around it. So I'm not going to say too much about predictions. I'm going to, I'm going to leave that to our soccer expert, Jeremy McCarthy, who I caught up with a little bit earlier to preview the big game on Sunday afternoon. Jorah, can you fill us in first on the importance of the Beamish Cup here in West Cork, where this competition stands in the West Cork League? I would say the easiest description I could give it is that it is the equivalent of the FA Cup for for younger uh, podcast listeners or anyone new to the West Cork League. Um, It has a tradition since its inception of being probably the most important knockout game in the region when it comes to, to local football. And the reason is it's got such a rich heritage, so many great teams and great players that have come out of West Cork have played in it and won it. Um, there's a lot of prestige around it. And, and generally, I suppose, any season, irrespective of the era, you normally would have a, a team's strongest 11 out for their Beamish Cup tie because everybody wants to crack off the cup. Um, I think the fact that the West Cork League took the decision to move it to uh, Turner's Cross was a brave one and the correct one. I think it has added uh, prestige to it. Granted, you mightn't get as big a crowd as you would, maybe down in West Cork, but for players and for clubs involved, the opportunity to play at the League of Ireland Stadium, I think is befitting of the occasion. I think players really look forward to it. Anyone that's played that we've interviewed and covered for the Southern Star down through the years talks about the experience of playing, you know, four sides of the ground covered in. Um, Usually a good crowd on, on, on Cup Final Day as well. It's getting better as the years have gone on. So in terms of look, the Premier Division is the is is the pinnacle. Everybody wants to win that. But I think any club on any given day, given given they're running the cup and get to a Beamish Cup final and experience it, wants that experience. And we cover the two semi-finals that were played in the Baltimore Road and Skibreen and the effort put in by Tor and Castletown, who finished, you know, they, they ended up losing. It tells you everything you need to know about clubs that want to get there. It's it's a big day out. It's the calendar date on everybody's calendar when it comes to West Cork League soccer. And uh, I don't think that's ever really going to change irrespective of where it's played. And Turner's Cross this Sunday is the place to be at 2pm kickoff as Dunmanway Town. We can call them the cup specialists because they won this, the Beamish Cup only back in 2020 and 2021. are up against the Bunrat United team looking to win the trophy for the first time since 2011. So let's look at, let's look at Dunmanway Town first. They were in the Premier Division title race up to last weekend before Drina were, were crowned champions. But like I said, they are this Dunmanway team, they know how to win the Beamish Cup. So that experience should stand to them on Sunday. 
Yeah, and like we've, there's a big preview in this week's edition of the Southern Star as well that we've we've written about looking ahead to it, and of course celebrating Drina Rangers' fantastic Premier Division success. Just want to say congrats because I haven't had a chance. Um, I think the core of that Dunmanway team uh, have played like this will be three out of four Beamish Cups if they do uh, mark that achievement, which is you know about as good as it's been over the last decade. Dunmanway are very very in one-off cup ties. Dunmanway are probably the best team. In West Cork, I think that's fair, and I, I don't mean to disrespect Drina at all in that. Drina are the most consistent team in West Cork over the last three years. That's why they've won three Premier Division titles. But in one-off ties, when they're their strongest team available to them, um, Dunmanway are generally the most difficult to beat. They've proven that in the cup this year because they knocked Drina out on penalties in a cracking cup tie, and <clears throat> they also, excuse me, they also proved that. They've had a lot of injuries, Kieran, in the run-up to this cup test. It's going to be very interesting to see how they line out. I don't think they even know at this stage, as we record this, who's available and who's not. They, they were missing quite a lot of regular first-team players in their semi-final victory um, over Castletown. And what has happened to Dunmanway in the past 12, 24 months is they've now started to rely on an under-19 team that they brought through their underage academy that has now blossomed. So the likes of Owen Buckley, who featured in the front, brilliant photograph of him in the front, celebrating that goal uh, in the front of our sports section, is an example of that. Mark Buckley is still there. Reese Coakley is still there. Stephen O'Donovan is still there. Um, they've got a really good spine to their team, uh, Dunmanway, and they've also got an injection of youth. And I think that's probably been key to their cup run that they've got the legs now that can run the 90 minutes and maybe maybe beyond this weekend it may go that far um, and I think it's a different Dunmanway team from the previous teams that would have played in, in the cup finals in that some of the old guard have moved on but some of the new younger players that have come through and another player that I really wanted to mention as well um, one of the best goalkeepers in, in in West Cork is Stephen Daly and uh, he's, he's going to be crucial for them I think uh, this weekend as well and how he plays but this is this is a seasoned team with a lot of experience on the sideline. It's a seasoned team. Some of the under 19s that they've brought through now had a full season. They know what it's all about. Might be different for a few of them on the day of the cup final, but the majority of this Dunmanway squad have been to Turner's Cross. They know what's involved. They've won. And I think that could be crucial uh, on the day itself. Before we turn to talk about Bunratty now, just to mention you mentioned him there, Stephen O'Donovan. He's going for his sixth Beamish Cup title this weekend. Dunmanway have won five. As far as I know, or I was told, he was involved in all five, going back to the first one back in the early noughties when he was a sub. And he, he's been an ever-present in their, in their Beamish Cup wins ever since. So maybe he'll be the lucky charm for Dunmanway Town on Sunday. But turning to Bunratty, so, Jor, are they one of the surprise packets of this season? Like, they came up out of the championship. They've done so, so well. Been up at the top half, the top up near the top or summit of the Premier Division for, for most of the campaign. And now they're here with a chance to win the Beamish Cup. Yeah, it's a really good story because Bunratty, not two years ago, and I think were relegated, had a really difficult year uh, by West Cork League standards and dropped down and did, made the right decision not to prolong it and decided to go down. And then they turned to youth. We've talked about underage academies. Bunratty and, and Town Park, where they play in Skull, that area, uh, Kieran, as you know well, is synonymous with producing really, really good footballers. Uh, Ronan Hurley, who went all the way to Cork City uh, and played League of Ireland football, is just one example of the players that has come through that academy in Bunratty. They are, to all intents and purposes, a very, very young team. Now, there are some experienced heads in there um, in the middle of it and certainly on the sideline as well. But this Bunratty team's renaissance, I think, when you go down to the championship and you've had a terrible year, sometimes clubs find it hard to find the momentum to come back up. They came straight back up. And when Bunratty came back up, unlike a lot of clubs that do get promoted, 
they didn't struggle at all. They had a big squad of players, uh, which I think is hugely important if, if you've just come back up. And they utilised the talent and the youth that they've built around, not just under 19, but under all the way. I know all these players from Westcar Schoolboys coverage. I've seen them come through smashing footballers, every one of them, but it's different when you get to adult level in West Cork League. For the clubs that take it seriously, for the clubs that train and the clubs that want to win trophies, it's very, very hard to be a consistent team in the Premier Division. Dreen and Dunman may know how to do it. Clan Soccer Club know how to do it. But everyone else after that, I think based on GA commitments and lots of other things, can sometimes struggle. When Ratty haven't, and they're going to finish in the top three this year, which I think is a fantastic return. Now, this is bonus territory in terms of the cup final for them, but they are a kind of a cup team, if you know what I mean, in that they've had a good run. Um, they've got a, a, a very, very youthful lineup. Um, it will be a lot of those players' first experience of an adult cup final at Turner's Cross. So how they cope on the day and what way they react will be crucial. But I'm looking forward to seeing them. And anyone who hasn't seen Bunratty play this year um, will be in for a treat because they play lovely, attractive football. They keep the ball on the ground and they utilise the young talent around them um, and have done so fantastically well this year. I mean, you could list a load of players um, but I think the fact that I was looking at their subs bench in the semi-final victory over Tor, now Tor are a fantastic cup team as well and have proven that over the last couple of years. Um, the fact that they were able to bring on the an opportunity to bring on the likes of Danny McSweeney, uh, James O'Regan and Sean Evans. These are really good young players who would get onto most West Cork League teams. They were they were on the bench. They were able to spring them. So they've got depth. They've got youth. Um, and I think in Cullum Cleary, uh, you talked about Stephen O'Donovan and what he's done for for Dunman with Town down through the years and what a, what a stalwart he is and has been. Cullum Cleary is exactly the same. We know him from GA circles, but for Bunrat United, he is Mr. Bunrat United. He sits in the middle of the pitch and he dictates the tempo and he uses, I hope he won't be saying this, he uses the young legs around him to do a bit more of the running than he used to have to do. But Cullum is, is, is one of those players that the young players learn from. They watch how he works. They watch how he plays. And I think Bunrat for those who haven't seen them this year, um, are going to be pleasantly surprised by the way they play their football. Dunman will play a similar type, so I'm hoping it's going to be a really good Open Cup final. I think it will be. But this is new territory for a lot of the younger players in the Bunratty team. I've said that before. And how they react on Cup final day, because strange things happen to players on Cup final days. I've seen enough of them to know that. Um, they've certainly got the talent to win it. I will say that. And what it would do for 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 football in Bunratty and Skull. I mean, you know, Dunman may have been there already won it. This would be a huge boost, Karen. It'd be a massive boost for a club that really need to build. They're capable of building on it. If they can keep the group of players together, it's a lot easier to keep that group of players together if you have a Beamish Cup in your pocket, medal in your pocket for the following season. They are capable of kicking on, but they need to keep the group together. But it's an uphill challenge for them on Sunday, to put it mildly. Final question, so Jer, can we have your prediction? Look into your mystic made crystal ball there. Yeah. What do you see happening on, on Sunday? Like we've just talked about there, the cup specialist of Memory Town didn't know how to win this competition, but you've a Bunratty United team with momentum behind them, and they're looking to cap a, a great first season back in the Premier. So who you put your money on? Yeah. I, uh... All West Cork League clubs hate when I make these predictions because I'm usually wrong, to be fair. More often than not, I'm wrong. Here's what I know. It's going to be a very, very attractive open game because two teams play a lot of good football. It's going to have good support from both clubs and I hope a lot of people come to Turner's Cross to see it because they'll be pleasantly surprised. But I've got to go with my gut on this and I think Dunmanway's recent experience of winning the Beamish Cup and their more experienced squad of these kind of big days in Turner's Cross at adult level. I know Ben Ratty might have played underage there. Um, I think is going to swing it in their favour. I think it's going to be high scoring. I think it's going to be 3-2 to Dunmanway. And I think we're going to have a cup final to remember. Um, I, I, I just hope uh, that 
irrespective of the result that Bunratty learn from the day and build on it no matter what because that's bigger there's a bigger question here because like, next season is going to be the most important in the West Cork League's history for a variety of reasons we can talk about on another day um, but I'm expecting a really good open attractive cup final I hope it, it lives up to its billing but I do think just that little bit more of experience and recent form as well Dunman may have been hitting form at the right time I think Dunman may well edge it has set the scene for a thriller on Sunday. Best look to both the Menway and Bunretti. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, funding dreams for over 50 years. Now, welcome back to the Star Sport Podcast. And last weekend, Munster came, claimed a brilliant historic win against Leinster in Dublin, in the Aviva, to set up a URC final in South Africa against the Stormers at the end of the month. And while the win itself was massive, it will have excited West Cork rugby fans to no end, Kieran, to see no fewer than nine players involved, either who were born here or with links to the region, including, of course, the match winner, Jack Crowley from Inishanin. Kieran, the West Cork Mafia is growing and looks to be as strong as ever. The West Cork Mafia, like you said, it's growing, it's getting bigger and stronger. Um, and a hat tip to Tree Red Kings on, on Twitter for, for he's he's constantly pushing hashtag West Cork Mafia, but with good reason. Like you said there, Dylan, nine players with connections to West Cork featured for Munster against Leinster. Got to mention first, obviously, Jack Crowley, the man of the moment, the 23-year-old in the Shannon man who kicked that sensational drop goal to win the game. Munster were down two points at the time. It was it was 15-13 and he came up with the goods uh, three minutes from the end to, to send Munster into the URC final on, on Saturday, May 27. So that feels like a real coming of moment, coming of age moment for, for Jack. He's on such an upper trajectory at the moment between obviously getting his Ireland caps, featuring the Six Nations as Ireland won the Grand Slam. He's making a Munster jersey his own right now. And as Peter Mahoney said after, he had the balls to knock it over when he had that chance of three minutes to go. So it's, it's a good sign that Jack Crowley is moving in the right direction. And this is a, a local lad who who played at Bendon, Bendon Rugby Club. He honed and learned his skills at, at Bendon's old chapel ground. And look at him now turning turning it on up at the Aviva. But he's one of nine. So obviously you've Gavin Coombs from Skibbereen started. Jude Ross Carberry's John Hodnett started as well. Then we had the Witchley brothers from over in Bentry, Finneen and Josh, who both came on. And then we have the other links to, to West Cork, which I'll, I'll go through quite quickly because I think it just shows just the how vast this region is. We have Jack O'Donoghue, the Waterford man, whose father Neilis is from in the scheme. Then we have Shane Daly. His father, Bill, is a former Bendon, um, Bendon Rugby Club captain and is also the current um, club president. And then we have the Scannell brothers, Nylon Rory, they both played against Leinster and they have very strong links to Beira. Their late grandfather is the late big Donald O'Sullivan from Ard Groom, who himself was a son of the TD, Ted O'Sullivan and, and big Donald. Captain Cork in the 1956 All-Ireland Football Final and he also served in the administrative side of the GA with the Cork County Board and with the Munster Council. So there, there you go, nine men with Munster connections played for Munster. So it certainly is boom time for rubbing West Cork, Dylan. Yeah, and like you mentioned there, that's just the men. The women's game has been as strong as ever. Um, we saw with the Skibreen team that won West Cork um, Team of the Year at the recent uh, sports awards. And 
we obviously have a big guest on this week in Laura Gesta as well. I, I like I like that pun, an important guest, and it is Laura Guest. So this is West Cork Rugby Royalty. So I got in touch with Laura a couple of weeks back because it's the 10-year anniversary since the Ireland women's rugby team won the country's first and only Grand Slam back in 2013. And Laura Guest from Clannacilty was, was part of that history-making Irish squad. So I just wanted to have a chat with her about her, her remarkable career and how she went from, from playing into coaching and what her what her plans for the future is. So just a quick synopsis of Laura Guest. She played in, in three World Cups. She played in the Irish women's team that beat the All um, the All Blacks in the, I think it was the pool stage in the 2014 Rugby World Cup. She won nine Interpros with Munster as a player and was captain in her final win in 2014. She then veered into the coaching side of the game and she coached the Munster women's um, team for, for three years, 2017, 18 and 19. And she won an Interpro in that time as well. We talk about trailblazers and pioneers. We mentioned Darren Sweetney before from Dunmanway, the first local man to play rugby um, at the top level for Ireland. But Laura Guest is that in, in, in women's rugby. She put women's rugby on, on the map here in West Cork. But she also put rugby in general on the map because her accolades and what she has done for rugby here, it should never be overlooked. It should, it should never be forgotten. It should actually be really celebrated because she's one of the most successful sports people that West Cork have had. And she's also a former West Cork sports star of the year back from, from 2013 as well. So I was delighted to get the chance just to just to catch up with Laura again and pick her brains and find out where this love of rugby came from and just, and just chat about her incredible career. For context for our listeners, Laura played in three World Cups for Ireland, over 30 caps for Ireland as well. She was part of Ireland's first ever women's Grand Slam team in 2013. And that was the same year that she was crowned West Cork Sports Star of the Year. Also won a lot of Interpros at Munster and was Munster Women's Head Coach as well for a, a couple of seasons. And they're just some of the headlines from a, a remarkable rugby career for Laura. But Laura, before we talk about Grand Slams and all that, can you take me back to the start of your rugby adventure? Because the rugby scene in West Cork then was a lot different to what we have now. Nowadays, you have so many Munster players in the men's and women's teams and also Irish internationals in both. But what was the West Cork rugby scene like when, when you started off? Yeah, and equally nowadays, um, you know, you have underage rugby in most of the clubs in West Cork as well, which, you know, was unheard of for girls. Um, but I started back in Clannacilty. Um, I suppose I was 16 and um, was playing a bit of everything. And I was mad keen for any sport, really. And it was just a, a chance conversation, I suppose, um, on the way home from playing soccer with somebody. And she, she was just saying, you know, I'm going to rugby training now. You know, do you want to come along? And I said, sure, why not? And uh, I actually, my home house is probably uh, 500 metres away from Clannacilty Rugby Club. So it kind of was a, an easy enough uh, commute and it was an easy enough um, start, if you like. And and there was a great group of people in Clannacilty at the time. Um, you know, and, and Clan was very fortunate as well um, because I wasn't the only international in Clan even um, just before I was kept. Um, Emer O'Sullivan and myself were there at the same time a bit, but uh, Maeve Quirk was um, playing her club rugby in, in Limerick, fair enough, but um, she was she was Clan's first Irish international, which was huge as well, you know, um, absolutely massive really when you look back. And what was it that, that clicked for you? Like you said, like you dabbled in so many different sports, but then it was it was rugby that, that you fell in love with. And I think 
almost a hat tip here. Was it Anna Mahoney from Shannon Vade who told me before she was the yeah. she was the woman who introduced you to rugby? But what was it about rugby that you decided, oh yeah, this is the sport for me? Yeah, that was it. And Anne was a good friend of mine actually, and she was very good to me. And she was playing ten for a clan at the time, but she was playing everything. Um, and likewise, I just I just thoroughly enjoyed sport. Um, but I don't know, there was something that bit different about rugby. Um, I suppose at times I was, you know, maybe too physical in the wrong direction for a, a camogie or a, a hockey where again that you're probably in the non-contact zone really and um I don't know there was just something very uh thrilling I suppose of uh your your body on the line as well as a bit of skill and different bits and uh we just had fun um and I and I do think for any any child starting any sport at this stage I think key to it is fun and if you enjoy it you'll stick and um do you know what I just it was the start of an incredible time really and um I just absolutely adored it and it, it was fortunate then I suppose that I, I went on to play Munster Senior quite quickly um and then just it snowballed if you like and I just I thoroughly enjoyed all of it um right up to I suppose 2014 and 2014 I found for the first time in my entire time playing that uh it wasn't as easy to to find form or I just wasn't I wasn't playing to the way I wanted to play. And that was the first time I, I actually kind of said, oh, I, I don't know about this. I'm not sure. And it, it was it was all me. It was nothing like there wasn't anything drastic kind of wrong. I just I just found that I wasn't playing the way I had been playing. And I was picking up nigglies like small little bits. And it just it was a hard season, if you like. So, you know, I just I kind of I, I did my best and, and I I. I kind of probably knew um, if I could make a World Cup that that would be it. And, um, you know, I, I, I got a bit of a fairy tale, if you like, in that I was very lucky because I came home from the World Cup still in good shape. And I had an opportunity to play with Monster once more. And I, I actually got the opportunity to captain, captain them. And, and I just felt, you know what, this is this is probably the top of that roller coaster again. And Life's life's full of roller coasters. I think sport is the same. Um, and and for me, I kind of just said, I I don't know how far back up I'm going to be able to get, and if I go down, so be it. But I I I wouldn't be. I'd be kind of annoyed, I suppose, to to finish sort of disliking it. So instead, I I got myself very fortunate. I I I got to call time when it suited me, and I called time when I still loved it, as opposed to I'm hurt and I can't play anymore. I'm forced or um, you know, I'm not selected or I'm, you know, going through a period of form where it's just not happening anymore. And, you know, that might have happened to me if I stayed, but I, I just I kind of knew um, that it was important to to finish where I still loved it. And, you know, even like I still look back and I, st I still look out now and I'm kind of saying, geez, I'd love to be out playing. Not sure about all all the time and commitment and, and whatever, but I, the, the actual playing the match, I, I kind of would love it still. But thankfully I'm I'm sensible enough to to realize that while I might like it my body mightn't before you bowed out Laura like you said there 2014 like when you were making that decision you packed in so much to your career whether it was with Munster or, or Ireland like I was saying at the start um but go back again take us back to the start when you were actually kind of spotted by by the Irish manager at the time Philip Doyle um, when you were only seventeen, like you were, you were brought into the the Irish panel when you were actually too young to play international. Is that right? Yeah, I think um, to be fair, I had played a, a match. Uh, a monster were playing a touring side, and I I played a match in Shannon, 
and um, he was down watching and um, I think you know he he invited me in not not knowing my age if you like and at the time there was um there was a stipulation that front five couldn't play if they were under eighteen um for Ireland I think that has changed since and and uh it it Bevan Parsons of course played at sixteen probably um but um there was a stipulation and and he he was unaware I suppose of my age at the time so I I got invited in and I was again I come myself very fortunate and very lucky I I got you know to experience the training without the the pressure of you know, trying to put yourself out there for selection, if you like, it was it was pretty free in that I I was ineligible, so um I could train and it, you know nothing was going to be wrong, if you like, as in no matter what I did, it wasn't that I did something incorrect and couldn't get selected because of that. I just I I wasn't in a position to be selected at the time, and when I look back now, there's kind of a good bit of freedom to that. Um, and then of course I was very fortunate because a couple of weeks after I turned eighteen, um, we went to um a European tournament in Toulouse. Um, in I suppose late April two thousand and four, maybe even, um, maybe even just early May, and of course about a month out from the leaving cert, but uh, sure I didn't care. Um, but uh, I was very fortunate because I I went on tour to to the Europeans, um, you know, a couple of weeks after I probably even maybe seven to ten days after I turned eighteen and became eligible, um, and I actually wasn't capped out there. I was I was close to being capped, but I I I had um. I had dislocated an AC joint and it was sort of still a bit flared and um, I, I didn't get an opportunity to get in the pitch. And it, while I probably was frustrated with it at the time, it, it probably also just helped me to kind of keep my head down and keep moving and, you know, reinforce the fact that nothing is guaranteed in, in sport or in life. And, and you know, who knows if I had got capped then, I might have said, oh, this is great. I'm on top of the world and you never know. I might have not been playing rugby again in six months time or 12 months time because I might have thought, oh, that's it. I've, I've done what I was supposed to do now, you know. When you did get on the pitch, you definitely uh, left your mark. Like I said, three World Cups. Was it 2016 Canada, or sorry, 2006 Canada, then 2010 England and 2014 in France. When I mentioned World Cups to you, what's the, the moment or memory that you instantly reach for? Um, I suppose in ways it is hard to see past that Blackburn's win in um, 2014. You know, it was like, it was indescribable in ways because um, nobody thought we had a chance and uh, there was just a quiet confidence in among, in amongst us, and uh, we were looking forward to it. And I think at all points throughout the entire week, and and even leading up to that fixture, I think we 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 thought we would win. And I think people, when when you look back, people are a bit like, "How did you think you were going to win? No one had beaten them ever, you know." And I don't know what it was, but there was just a confidence. It was not an arrogance. It was just a if we can do our job, you know, these are beatable and. It was just thoroughly enjoyable because it was very relaxed. Um, but I think, you know, there was foundations, you know, in in other World Cups for that win. And I think we had a couple of hard fixtures against America. We beat Amer- or we played America twice, sorry, in 2010 and um, beat them once, lost them once. And it was just a really physical battle. And I think those kind of those kind of fixtures, they probably prepare you for the likes of a, a World Cup at the best of times. And. I just remember even the the support, the Irish support in Mercusi in, in France was just unbelievable. Like people getting ferries across, you know, one of the girls, um, Neve Kavanagh had been a bit unlucky. She was in the squad and the last sort of thing we did before we left for France was we played um, a sort of a, a training match against a Welsh side that came to us in Malahide and she 
tore her hamstring off the bone and, and had surgery and wasn't in a position to fly. So instead herself and another West Cork person, if you like, uh, Linda Linda Kennedy, who's down there in Crookhaven, um, Linda and, and Neve jumped in a, in a car and, and got a ferry across. And, you know, like it's just those kind of stories, if you like, or those kind of people that that just made the journey. Um, I think they all added to our success and they all added to our our feel, you know, um, even even to go back a year previous, like the the match in Milan, like, you know, former internationals coming from New Zealand, um, people came from Canada, New Zealand, you you name it, they came from it to, to get to there. And I, I just think it, that all of those, you know, uh, moments added to the memory, if you like, and um, on pitch, it was pretty decent, you know, but, but it was it was everything. It was the amount of people there for us and, and willing us on and wishing us on. And, you know, phones were, were hopping from people who probably had little enough interest in rugby, but just had interest in us as people and, and then became more interested in the rugby, if you like, you know, and just look, it was it was a great time for Irish women's rugby. You've mentioned there in the space of those couple of minutes, two of the, the huge moments in Irish women's rugby, that 17-14 pool stage win against um the New Zealand in the 2014 World Cup. But let's rewind back to 2013. So St. Patrick's Day over, mm-hmm. over in Italy, I think it was Milan, was it? 6-3, yeah. one won away to clinch the historic first Irish women's Grand Slam in the Six Nations and also wrap up the title as well. To be part of that lore, that must have been magical. Yeah, it was it was mad actually in ways because um that season I would have always said that season um it was our first match that actually made that we won the Grand Slam. We hadn't won away in Wales in a while and it was kind of a funny enough first half performance and it was just it was a tough win. Um but it was a really good win because we as I say, look, we found it hard to win in Wales for a little bit and um we'd have no real issue against them at home. So it was it was a really important one, obviously, to to get on the the marking and get across that line on in that fixture. But then the the Milan fixture is kind of funny in ways because you know, we arrive into into Milan and it's um sunny and it's nice and you're looking and you're out in your captain's run and the pitch is kind of sand based, but you're looking at it and it just says this is this is fine. There's not a lot of grass in it, but it's grand. It's it's you know, it's a nice day, the sun is shining, you know, this will be lovely tomorrow. And, you know, you wake up the following morning and it's snowing and you're kind of saying, oh God. And we had rain and snow and sleet and dreadful winter, Irish conditions, really. Um, And it was a mud bath. But equally, you know, it was the first time there was a, a Women's Six Nations fixture televised. And I think it was a stroke of luck um, is all it happened to be because if you remember Ireland lost in Rome for the first time probably in their history um the previous day and I think RT heard you know the women are are playing for a grand slam or RT were informed I should say um the women are playing for a grand slam there tomorrow in Milan let's let's get something out of the weekend you know let's let's go and uh, let's cover it and um you know it was it was the, probably the first time we had media around for a game and things like that but it ended up that it was it was brilliant to have caught um that that piece of history I suppose on TV and you know, it wasn't probably the most attractive game, but there was plenty of heart in it. And it was, I think, the most exciting 6-3 match I've ever been involved in. But, um, it, you know, it was it was on a knife edge for, for the entire 80 minutes. The Italians were ever improving and it was probably the start of their, you know, where they're at now was probably started back then. Um, you know, they 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 had been, previous to that, they had been sort of maybe not to standard, but they were always improving and they were they were a good side then. And, you know, it came down to a, another famous person who's moved on um, to, to bigger and better things since then. But it came down to Joy Neville winning a, a penalty, you know, uh, where the Italians were probably 
hoping to get their own penalty and kick for a, a six-all draw. Um, but Joy won a penalty in the middle of the pitch around the 22 and in the last play of the game, practically. And, you know, in, in true Joy fashion, you know, she she pulled the ball up in the air and then the whistle goes and the, the two arms are up in the air and you kind of never forget that either, you know. And um, it just was, you know, a, a remarkable day. When you're part of a group that achieves so much, especially to that grand, that grand slam, does that bind you together forever? Like, and if, is that group now? Like, are you, are you still very much in contact because you shared such a special moment together as a group? And even ten years on, here we are talking about that first Irish women's rugby grand slam. So, is is that connection still there? And will it always be there, Laura? You kind of hope it is, and and it is to a certain extent. Um, you know, we we met there recently, or a group of us met um after the the last home game in in Musgrave Park. And, uh, you know, we we raised the glass for 10 years on, but we also have a, a, a WhatsApp group and it goes every now and again. And at the minute there, it was going this week with Joy's um, great news of, of being involved in the first female to ever officiate at a Men's World Cup. Um, and it, it goes at times and then it's quiet at other times, but it's um it's really nice when you bump into people and you haven't seen them in a while. And even um, Fiona Coughlin was inducted into the... Rugby Players Ireland Hall of Fame in November and that was another nice opportunity for us to gather and you know reminisce a bit but also catch up a small bit and I suppose now it's um it's kind of full circle in that most people are most of the people involved have their own families now and it's it's nearly lovely to see even there was a group of former players maybe not 2013 exclusively but former players um with all their children and children all playing together at that last match and it's just it's really nice to see and it's I suppose it's um the band is still there in ways and yet it's similar to I suppose school friends and, and friends that you've been friends with for life in that it doesn't really matter how often you see each other. When you see each other, you pick up where you left off. And that is kind of something really nice, I have to say, about it, you know. And even though when, when you're you decided that your playing days were over, like your your involvement in rugby definitely didn't didn't end there. Like you were like I said earlier, Munster Women's Head head coach for a spell. That analytical side of the game, that coaching side of the game, did it always appeal to you? Um, I think it did really, yeah. I I probably fell into coaching a little bit accidentally, if you like. Um, you know, I did summer camps when I was younger and that was fine. And I was coaching in, in school where 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 I'm teaching and and like I kind of enjoyed it there anyway, but um I kind of took on the role of um player coach in Highfield um for a spell as well. And um I think that was a really challenging one. Um and you know, it probably did give me the the kind of a the feel for it a bit more. Um, because you're you're directly sort of feeling your coaching in that uh, whatever it is you're doing or you're telling the players to do, you're actually doing it yourself. Um and it wasn't without its challenges, but I did enjoy it a lot and I suppose it was seen nearly as a natural progression um in ways that I would stay coaching somehow. Um, and as I say, like I, I, I've been coaching a boys team in school, um, you know, since I started my job pretty much. Um, and then I spent maybe two years as a player coach in Highfield. I spent a further season um, as a coach when I wasn't playing. Um, and then I spent three years coaching Munster. And, you know, in, in ways, the coaching is harder, um, significantly harder than playing. Um, the level of organisation, the people management, the, you know, the challenges of of players not on form, um, it's an awful lot harder than than turning up and just putting in your hour or your hour and a half on the pitch and just doing what you're told. Um, but at the same point, it's very rewarding as well. And I, I really did enjoy 
And um, my time at Munster, I was again fortunate because um, you know, you're only as good as as the people you work with around you. And and I had a very good backroom team. You know, each of my three years, for the most part, it was people retained. But uh, you know, we we had a great group, and um, you know, we prioritized um players. We made it a player centered environment. Um, and it just like ideally, I probably would have enjoyed staying involved in, in coaching and maybe even stay coaching Munster for longer. And then, of course, I had my made my decision in the November 19 that I would move away from it. Um, and then, of course, COVID hit and global pandemic and everyone reevaluates. But I, I have said for a long time that I, I do think that the, I suppose, commitment level and the, you know, demand level just to to my point of view became something that is not suited to somebody who has a career elsewhere. And, you know, I I, I feel while it's great in ways, you're, you're moving away from the amateur side of the game, you're moving away from the the person from Connacht who starts playing rugby at 16, can play for Munster and can go on and coach Munster. I, I just feel that, you know, there's there's probably just that bit more of a commitment. It's a professional environment without being professional, if you like. And maybe if you're not in um, a career, maybe if you're in college still or you don't have a family, maybe you can put yourself in that environment and, and be there. But it, it just the commitment required to do it well, it didn't it didn't match up with the time I had to offer it, unfortunately, anymore, you know. Does that close the door for you, Laura, going forward? Like, is it something you'd be interested in getting involved in again, coaching at that level? Or like you said there, just because of what's involved in the role and a lot of the stuff that most of us don't even see all those calls and emails that go on behind the scene. Does that mean for you right now, it's it's just not feasible, it's just not possible? I don't think it's possible um, while working full-time in my current employment, if you like. Um, you know, again, if you... like. Munster have had different seasons or Interpros have had different seasons in different windows. Um, if if it was ran entirely throughout the summer, potentially, um, uh, because being a teacher, I would have the time. But I just I I can't see you know, like the amount that it had changed even in the length of time from me playing to finishing playing, and likewise from me finishing playing to starting involved in coaching, like it just became more and more and more um of time commitment of a a lengthy season of you know, something always going on in the background, whether it was skill sessions, whether it was gym sessions. I just, to me, it doesn't, um, it doesn't fit where I'm at, you know, unfortunately in my life anymore. And as I say, it is unfortunate because I did thoroughly enjoy it. Um, I suppose because I, I'm not in that frame and at the minute. Um, I, I dabbled a tiny bit there lately in that uh, I was asked and I, I did co-commentary and for some of the Six Nations games alongside Michael Corcoran on the radio and you know what? I really enjoyed it because it required uh, far less time. Obviously, there was just the the day of the match and the couple of hours. Um, you know, the, the bit of prep is different as well because the bit of prep that you're doing for it is you're you're doing it because you were doing it anyway. You know, you're 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 sort of already paying attention to everything that's going on. You're already looking at all the squad announcements. So, I didn't find there was extra preparation involved in it. And yet, um, you know, you're sitting there and you being in journalism you 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 know full well like it's it's a it's a tough place as well it's not easy and you know it's it's certainly it was something totally out of my comfort zone but I I, I thoroughly enjoyed it I have to say and is that actually like to push yourself out of your comfort zone just to try a new challenge is that something that's like 
Go back to, to the to the the young Laura who was sixteen who tried rugby and loved it. Now you, you tried the core commentary and you enjoyed it. Do you like challenging yourself, Laura? Just pushing yourself outside your your boundary and comfort zone just to see what you can do. Yeah, you you could say you could say two things. You could say I like challenging myself, but you could also say I don't know how to say no. Um, but uh, no, I I I do. I really enjoy. Um, I do enjoy a challenge. Let's face it. Um, I I kind of at all times I'm trying to to challenge myself. Um, and I, you know, it just it came up. I got asked, and and I said, okay, I'll try it. And um, you know, I I. I tried it not knowing would it be good or bad. I tried it not knowing would it be one off or or would I be asked again. And and you know what I've just I I've kind of embraced it I suppose. And you're you're sitting there and you're calling it as you see it. But I was always one of these that was sitting there watching the TV and nearly saying what the commentators were saying anyway. So I suppose it, it wasn't that I thought it could be good, but it was it was definitely that I thought okay I I won't be bad necessarily because I watch enough sport. Um, you know, I, I have enough interest that I, I I often would be watching a match and saying the same thing the commentator would say and things like that. And do you know what? It, it for me it it's it's not that I'm really involved in the women's game at the minute, but it gave me a connection to it still, which is nice to have. You know. What's your thoughts on this, the women's rugby scene in West Cork right now? We have obviously Ireland internationals like like in your Breen Sheen has been involved with the Munster team. Uh, this season with um we with Laura we Inya with Gillian Coombs and Abby Salter Townsend and of course the Indiscovering Women's Rugby Team have done great things the last couple of years and Saskia Witchley went from the Witchley clan with the captain of the Ireland under eighteen women's team in a couple of games in the the Six Nations there a couple of weeks ago and there's more besides that so how would you how would you assess the women's rugby in West Cork right now? I think it's in a really healthy place. I have to say, even you look at um Clannacilty and they have the underage booming. They have you know multiple teams at underage level, um skib skib um kind of it feels like I've come from nowhere, but it's years of work really, and and you know it's super to see. Um, yeah, of course Gillian Coombs has nearly been playing in Balancholic, but she was Skibbereen based originally, and you know there's still a lot of talent in Skibbereen, um, and in West Cork in general. And it's just, you know, even even the bantries of the world, they're they're doing good things, as you say. Um, the, the Witcherly clan are, are producing for men's, women's, everything at this stage. But it's it's really good to see. And I, I think even, you know, the, the challenge that I always see is is retaining some of these people into adult rugby. Um, whereas now with Skabreen having that that adult team and with doing well this year, you have a greater chance that there is somewhere for people to go and play. Um, I suppose, you know, the the pessimist in me, if you like, or or maybe not pessimistic, but the the kind of, I don't know, the the real world view in me often says that the, the people that you need to play to keep them teams going, you know, don't really live in that area at the present moment because they're maybe in college or you know, they're they're not quite at the point where they're back working where they're from. Um, so, uh, you know, it takes a, an army and it takes a huge commitment. But it looks like even even at the Celtic Grass Sports Star Awards there um, this year, it looks like that Skibbereen team have a great bond and have great camaraderie. And I think when you have that, there's people that are, you know, based elsewhere that will travel back to play. And I think if they can keep it, it looks like they have a lot of fun as well because they were you know, they were a team that were enjoying themselves, there, you know, um, on that evening and they were taking their pictures and they were, you know, they were all attentively listening when their captain spoke when she received their award. And and I think that, you know, they seem to have a very good thing and hopefully it will continue for them because, you know, it's 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 very much a case of it's it's hard to do, but it's it's very hard as well if you've 
if you've let a team go, it's really hard to restart it. And, you know, kind of guilty, as I say, are booming at underage level and, and haven't had another adult team for a while. And, and I think potentially are, are thinking about it again. But, you know, it, 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 it takes an awful lot to set it up and get it moving. And, you know, more luck to them if they can. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of the girls that, you know, are moving on into bigger and better things. The Enyas, the Lauras, they're not based in, in West Cork anymore, but I know they have, you know, good roots down there. And so they will be back. And again, they'll be the kind of people who I'm sure will be willing to go back and, and help people out or, you know, give time, give a session here or there. Um, and, you know, it's it, definitely the talent pool is not dried up yet in, in West Cork. Um, th there's something in the water goes to more than just rowing, I think. The Skibbereen team didn't try and sign you up that night. They were on a, a big registration drive tonight at the, the Celtic Ross Press Cork Sports Star Awards. They were approaching Cork Camogie players and so on to try and sign them up. They didn't They didn't knock, knock at your door, Laura? No, I, I think they had their sights firmly on the Castlehaven GA girls that evening, which was um, which was very impressive as well. If Even if they got two or three, you know, from, from something like that, I think that would really help them as well. Um, the, again, Castlehaven in a different sport, but they're doing very good things down in West Cork. And, you know, if, if Skibreen can can grab a couple of players who are, who are also playing some other sport, I think that would be, you know, beneficial for both sports. You know, I, th I think sometimes people now maybe are specialising a bit early as well. And they're saying, you know, oh, I, I, I need to play this and this is my primary focus. I, I kind of feel play anything, play everything. And, um, you know, at times you will find things you you prefer and that's perfectly fine, but don't specialise too early and, and don't say, oh, no, I, I can only play this because that's the, you know, I'm playing here and that's the commitment I need to give. I think play everything. And as a rugby fanatic yourself, as a player, coach, comment, co-commentator now, to see the health of West Cork rugby, men's and women's, the likes of what Gavin Coombs is doing. We've, we're going to claim Jack Crowley in the Shannon as West Cork as part of this exercise with, with the Witchleys, the Coombs, as uh, John Hodnett, Keen Hurley, Clan, Inya Laura. It's just incredible to see the rugby boom in West Cork over the last 10, 15, 20 years. It must make you really proud to see what West Cork is producing. Absolutely. Um, I, I just think, you know, for a, a kind of a probably a, a GA area and a, probably a, a football area, if you like, as well as maybe the rowing. Um, I think it has packed its its punch definitely with the rugby. Um, you know, the, the likes of Bandon Grammar School and what they're doing, even Clash Pubble and Bantry, they're 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 playing rugby very well for, for a long time. I know the Witcherleys went to Ross Gray, but you know, they started out in Bantry Rugby Club, you you can guarantee it. Um and and I'd say would have been adding to that school, you know, if if they had stayed there. But it's really good to see. I mean, I think John Hadnett is a is a great player, I have to say. You know, he's he seems to have a bit of everything. And again, you know, Ross Carberry, not really a, a rugby place, but uh, came through Clannacilty and, and, you know, playing really good rugby with Munster. I, I I feel like Gavin Coombs, I don't know what else he can do in one way to get into an Irish squad again, because he's been in the training squad, but he hasn't been in the in the match squads, if you like, throughout this Six Nations. But again, I suppose that's the depth um of, of the current Irish setup. And, you know, he's just head down, working hard. And I, I remember seeing Gavin first when he was probably... 14 or 15 playing with Band of Grammar and, and coming up against my school. And I, I just thought from the very first time I saw him, I thought, geez, this guy has something. And I think he is a really good advocate for rugby in West Cork. 
he just seems to have the head down and working hard and he's had setbacks he's had injury setbacks he's he's you know won a cap or two and, and then kind of fallen back out but he's just continued to work hard and let his performances on the pitch do the talking again he was immense last week and you know if, if Munster can win this weekend it it would be huge, but I think it'll be, you know, again, the likes of those young players, it'll be their performances mean that Munster can or can't win. And Jack Crowley, you know, he he's just come from nowhere, if you like, you know, out of 20s, pretty much straight into senior. And I think, again, just really good for young people in West Cork to see that, you know, um, most of them would even nearly know, um, personally know some of the, those boys. And I think that they're, that that makes it just that easier to see. And again, it's back to if you can see, you can be, and it's going to inspire the next generation, I presume, of, of you know, rugby players, talented rugby players out of, out of West Cork. And I know you're quite modest, but you were part of that trailblazing pioneer back in, back in your day, or like you are... You were a, a, a local a local woman from Clan who went to hit the highest of heights with Ireland. Look at what Darren Sweetham did for for the for men's rugby in in West Cork. A, a young fella from Dunmanway who won the first West Cork event to win an Irish uh, in international senior international cap. So it's just great to see West Cork rugby has such uh, legendary figures like like yourself and Darren who put West Cork rugby on the map. But I just wanted thank you for your time. Lovely to to pick your brains and and reminisce over the. Over, over the the last your your incredible career, but before I let you go, I have to ask you too about Irish women's rugby right now. And like you said you are a co-commentator. It was a disappointing Six Nations. What what's next for this team? What can we do to get this Irish rugby team back back on track? Yeah, it it definitely was, and um, you know, bottom line is the performances weren't good enough. Um, that's just the reality of where you're at. Um, I I've said it for a long time. I think they need to get a hold of the club game and re restructure it. Um, and they need to get into uh, universities and create, I don't know, an, an easier transition from underage to adult. Um, at present, you know, in, in female sport, it's it's well documented that we're losing players, um, you know, from 16 onwards. And, you know, all female sports are losing them. But I think rugby seems to hemorrhage more. And, you know, you have people that are really good underage success that, you know, in two years time are not playing rugby at all. And I think that's just such a shame um for the first time in our lives we have people who are 18 19 20 who've been playing rugby girls rugby as well not just rugby with the boys but have been playing rugby since they were 10 and 11 and i think it's it's now that you have to harness them and you have to you have to give them a route to go to it's it's good to see the RFU seem to have you know centers of excellence um you know targeting those players um but i think they need a, a to take control of a college league and I think they need to restructure their AIL at present the, the club competition in this country isn't isn't to the standard that it needs to be and then we're not producing players that can play to the international standard and you know I think that can't be a surprise if you don't play and practice what you're are close enough to your standard I don't know how you're going to then turn out and play you know the best teams in the world and you know play against them and, and compete with them so I I hope that the that the you know investment of player um, academy managers and pathway managers and athletic coaches, I hope all that will um, do what it's supposed to do, which is to improve the standard of player, you know, in our country, and ready make them ready to play international senior rugby. That's a hope we all share, Laura. You've been so kind of your time. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. And just before you, you leave me as well, can I just say thank you to you um, and to West Cork um, Southern Star. Um, you've constantly um, publicised women's rugby and women's sport and 
the 20 by 20 campaign. I don't think the Southern Star needed to look at their their work. I think they were already publicising women's sport all the time, whether it was ladies football, um, rowing, rugby, you name it, you were doing it. So thank you for that. I appreciate it, Laura. Thanks very much. Thank you. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, funding dreams for over 50 years. Uh, welcome back to the Star Sport Podcast, following that great chat with Laura Guest. And we're now going to take a look at what's coming up in this week's bumper sports section. And Kieran, 28 pages, I believe. 28 pages, the biggest of the year so far, and certainly up there as one of the best sports sections we put out on Thursday. So any listeners to this podcast, if it's listen, if you listen to it on, on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you need to pick up the star, whether it's in your local shop or you can read our e-paper online as well, because there is something for everyone. Obviously, some of the stories we've covered in this podcast already, they're all in there, including interviews with, with Laura Guest and so on. Also, we have an, um, a piece about Sean Daly. He's the Randall Oag hurler who was part of the Cork Under-20 team that won the Munster Championship on Monday night. And Sean is the only Carberry representative on that Cork Under-20 hurling panel. And Matthew Hurley caught up with uh, the people of Randall Oag to talk about their pride in what Sean Daly has achieved. We have a big two-page special on Ahamila host in that big inter-county game, and that's well worth the read. Looking ahead, too, to Cork and Clare in the Munster Senior Hurling Championship, and good news on the injury front with Sean O'Donoghue from Inniscarra back in. Also, the Cork Miners had a superb win against Kerry last weekend, and I've spoken to Cork Miner manager Ray O'Mahony. It was great to see some local lads still going so well. Dara Sheehy from Bantry Blues kicked 1-5. Uh, Timmy Cullinan Timmy Cullen F and Bellis Carty played quite well with Frank Hurley from O'Donovan Marassa, Liam Horahan from St. Cullum's, and there are just some of the, the local lads involved. We also have a full page report from the Cork College's under 16 football final where the Hemis beat uh Clannacilty Community College in a derby. Then we've the soccer Beamish Cup final preview, a full page on Drina Rangers beating Bun Bunretti United. Um We've the Bantry under 12 girls basketball team. This is how good the sports section is this week. We're looking at them. They had an incredible season, Dylan, where they won it all. A 36 game season with this brilliant Bantry under 12 girls basketball team came out on tops with more, came out on top with more trophies than we could count on two hands, I think. Um, incredible success. We have an interview with Mark O'Donovan, the former world champion Roar, who was racing in the Ross Talton while people are listening to this podcast. It started on Wednesday. It goes to Sunday, a five-dayer. And this is the former Skibbering Roar, who is now making his mark in the world of cycling with Blarney Cycling Club. So there's that and loads more, including Martin Bohan, the, the, the county senior men's roadboard champion from Cora, who's been dethroned. He's out already. And a sexton, the defending women's champion, beat Geraldine Curtin, Geraldine Curtin excuse me, in her first score. So there's that and so much more. So it's it's a good one, Dylan. Yeah, I'd say this week is a must buy for everyone. And of course, we have an eight page photo special as well of the recent 2023 Southwest Rowing Schools regatta. Um, so there's pages of and pages of photos there. And pages. And pages. And, pages. and photos of every single crew that were involved. So that's a nice souvenir for anyone who uh, was involved, any families, neighbors, friends, the schools themselves. So please get out and buy that. And as always, 
if you're further afield or you can't make it to the shops, you can subscribe to the Southern Star e-paper and get the Southern Star on your laptop, tablet or phone. So just head to subscribe.southernstar.ie, enter your details and you'll get an exact replica of the newspaper for less than two euro per week. Absolutely worth it this week, I would say, and every week. As always, thanks for listening to the Star Swore podcast and thanks again to our sponsors at Access Credit Union. If you've enjoyed this, please remember to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll be back again next week.